Church family, it is my privilege to continue taking us through the, the book of Genesis this morning. This morning we'll be in Genesis 29, verses 1 through 30. That's Genesis 29, 1 through 30. And as you're turning, let me just remind you of the context that we're stepping into. Jacob has left home. He has deceived his, his, his father with the help of his, his mother, Happy Mother's Day. And he has left home for two reasons. Number one, to not die at the, at the hand of his angry, blessingless brother Esau, right? And number two, to find a wife. And not just any wife. He, he wasn't to be like his brother Esau and marry just any, any woman or, or a Canaanite woman. But he was told by his father to travel some 500 plus miles to the land of, of Haran to take a wife from the daughters of Laban, who was related to Rebekah. And it was last week that we saw at Bethel on his journey in a dream, the Lord promising to be with Jacob, that God would be before him, that God would provide for Jacob. And that the promises God made to Isaac and Abraham would be promises to him as well. He woke up, remember, from that dream and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and he set up a pillar for God. And so Jacob was promised by God that the Lord would be with him. Church, just as God promises to be with us, right? But it's one thing to know that up here, right? And another thing to believe that in here, Right? And, and that's going to be a huge chapter in, in, in Jacob's life uh, going into, to, uh, it's going to entail, um, some, some call it the, the school of hard knocks for Jacob. Uh, Jacob not entering into to seminary to, to prepare him uh, for the work of the ministry or the hardships of, of life, but he's going to get thrown and thrusted right into the deep end. One commentator puts it this way, Jacob is now in the greatest of all schools, that of experience. And there are many lessons to learn. These three chapters, referring to chapter 29, 30, and 31, cover 40 years of Jacob's life and are the record of a large part of Jacob's training. Uh, a lot of things you can learn in 40 years of life. I can say that with confidence because I'm, I'm 31 and I've learned a lot of things. And I still have a lot of things to learn. And so it's with this context that we come to our passage this morning. Let me read for us our text, Genesis 29, 1 through 30, which reads, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with them? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. 
While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with, with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and, and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me. What shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. It's the reading of God's word. Let's pray before we dig in. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is of great profit to us this morning. It, it teaches us, it, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness that, that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. Spirit, we depend on you now to illuminate these truths to us in this passage, to, to our hearts and, and to our minds, so that we might not be mere hearers of the word, but doers. Help us now, Lord, we ask. In your name we pray, amen. You know, I, I dated one time, and I mean that in a total sense. Uh, I really only dated one time. I, I was friends with Kaylee, my wife, in middle school. Uh, we went to church together. We went to school together. We did de uh, devotions together at the middle school lunch table. Um, we, we didn't have a whole lot of friends, but we had each other. Uh, Kaylee and I, we were good friends throughout high school. We even dated in the latter part of high school, and uh, I got engaged to her earlier on in, in college. I knew I wanted to marry that girl, and uh, during our engagement, I made a huge mistake 
of working for her father for a couple of weeks. Um, it was the heat of the summer. Um, it was humid, just like it gets humid here in Ohio. Um, it, it, it was in Pennsylvania. And uh, my father-in-law, he's a, he's a contractor. And uh, if you know anything about me, it's kind of funny because I don't, I don't know how to do anything with tools. I don't know how to use a hammer. Um, my only job up until this point was lifeguarding, teaching swim lessons, and, and some odds and ends ministry jobs. And I'll never forget those two weeks working for her dad. We were, we were building, and oh, when I say we were building, they, they were building, they were, they were building a, a pole barn and uh, I had no idea how to measure or, or use tools. I climbed heights that I thought I'd never climb. I drilled things I never thought I'd drill. I lifted things. I got my hands dirty. The days took forever to end. Um, the curse of Adam was real like never before. <laughs> and when the last day had finished, I, I went to Pete, uh, my father-in-law, and, uh, you know, wasn't sure what he was going to say to me. And he said, you know, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. <laughs> no, no. Pete was very gracious with me. Um, you know, he still allowed me to marry his daughter, obviously. And uh, every time he comes to visit us, um, he's sure to, to help fix or refix several things in my, my home. I love my, my father-in-law dearly. Um, but for Jacob, it's a, it's a little bit of a different story. Yeah. His journey in our passage takes some rather strange twists and, and turns. It, it gets even more messy in this passage than, than what we've seen previous uh, in Jacob's life. I've entitled this passage, this sermon rather, God's Plan and Jacob's Mess, because both things are evident, right? God's Plan and Jacob's Mess. It's an incredible account that we, we, we've read um, this text stands alone, and you can't help but feel strong emotions either, uh, either for or against the people that this text uh, deals with, right? And I tell you, I sat in my, my office and in my head for several weeks trying to figure out what the main point of this text was. Now, I wrestled with the, that, that for a while, like Jacob wrestles with God, spoiler alert, in, in 32. We'll get there. But you know, I thought, you know, is the main point of this text, is it just, is it one big warning to, to young men to, to, to flee from their father-in-laws? Um, is, is the meaning of this, this message a message against being deceitful towards others? I think the greatest prophet, the main point of this passage is connected back to the promises made to Jacob in chapter 28. And, and that as we look into these many years of Jacob's life in our text, we will see three different seasons of his life. And though each season is different, one thing remains the same. And that is the promises of God in his faithfulness. And the need for Jacob by faith to trust in God and the promises of God. Not just with his head, but with his heart and his life. And so in Genesis 29, 1 through 30... We'll look at three different seasons of Jacob's life so that you today, church, might completely trust in God through the seasons of your own life. Three different seasons of Jacob's life so that you today might completely trust in God through the seasons of your own life. The first season of life that we come across in this, this passage is that marked with and, and by providence. Providence. Genesis 29, 1 through 14. Let's look at our text 
says, then, then Jacob went on his journey. Uh, and let's just stop right there for a moment. I promise to let everyone out. We'll get home by like 2 p.m. today, all right? Uh, PD will never give me 30 verses to preach again. Uh, but, 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 but seriously, in the Hebrew, okay, then Jacob went on his journey. It, it could be rendered, Jacob lifted up his feet. Nowhere else in Scripture is, is something like that, uh, is, is that recorded for us. You know, we see throughout the Bible people lifting up their eyes and lifting up their hands and lifting up their voices, but never one's feet, except for right here concerning Jacob. And I think, again, that's referring back to chapter 28. And it's Jacob's response to the divine dream that he's just had. He's now energized. He still has a really long ways to go. It's 450 miles from Beth, uh, uh, Bethel to, to Haran. But it's as if this divine encounter is like a, a triple shot of espresso in, in Jacob's veins, right? He, it's, 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 he's light on his feet now. He's, it's like he's been shot out of a cannon, right? As he's moving with a purpose now towards Haran. And we see in verse 2, after so many miles of traveling... Who knows how long it would have taken him? Without GPS, mind you, which is hard for somebody like me to fathom, because I use that thing everywhere I, I go. But, but he arrives at a well sitting in the middle of a field with three different flocks of sheep lying next to it, which in this time, in, in this place, would have been a huge blessing. Again, providence, right? Wells, obviously, in this time were of great importance providing water not only just to humans but to flocks and animals, uh, a, a much-needed commodity in a desert region that they were in. And we get a detail concerning this well that's worth noting in this account, that there was this giant slab of rock that they stuck on top of the well. Uh, the reason being they believe that it's, it's to keep the water from inside the well from evaporating due to the sun or to keep dust out of the water or contaminants to keep other animals from going in and drinking of the water or, you know, strangers like Jacob, right, uh, coming in and, and taking from the water, uh, taking from the well without permission. And if you look at verse 3, it says that the, the shepherds, plural, get that, would together roll this huge slab of rock off the top of the well. In other words, what? It, it, took, it took multiple people to move this slab of rock off of the well. And so in verse 4, Jacob sees the different flocks of sheep along with their shepherds near the well, and he asks my brothers, a very polite way to address them, where do you come from? And they say, Haran. And, and could you just imagine, could you just imagine the face of Jacob when he hears their answer? Again, no GPS. Uh, he asks this question, probably unsure of how clo close or how far he was from where he was trying to go, which is Haran. And maybe he's asked others along the way in this 450 miles, you know, hey, hey, where are you from? Hey, where are you from? I mean, not too long ago, I, I just, we went to a, a Maryland uh, to, to go and witness Colin and Ashley Gibson's wedding. And we were on the road for a little while. And I stopped at a gas station um, to, to get some snacks for the kids, and, 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 you know, because they need snacks to be appeased and things in the, in the car. And, and I go into the gas station, and I talk to the cashier, and I say, hey, where are we anyway? She says, Zanesville. I was like, oh, man, I know Zanesville. I, I wasn't even an hour on the road yet. 
Yeah, unlike P- PD and I are very different. I make multiple stops. It takes me days to get to where I need to go. Um, and I guess what I'm saying, you know, four little kids in the car with you, you know, can make an hour feel like 450 miles. So <laughs> J- Jacob and I are pretty much the same, you know, in this, this story. But, um, but these shepherds say that they're, they're from Haran. And this is exactly where Jacob was heading when he left home. Chapter 28, verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And so if I'm Jacob here, I'm losing my mind, right? When the shepherds say that they're from Haran, knowing that he's made it, he's in the right spot. And again, can you just see the providence here in Jacob's traveling all this way, finding the exact location he was looking for? But his mission to find a wife is not, not done yet, not even close, right? Because he still needs to find a relative named Laban because it's from Laban's daughters that he was to marry. And so now he's got to do a lot of investigating work, right? So he continues asking these shepherds questions to get more information out of them. In verse 5, he says, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Probably a fat chance, right? You know, it's like when you meet somebody from like the state of Colorado and you know somebody from Colorado and you say, hey, do you know Joe Schmo, and they look at you like, you're like, Colorado's a big state. No, I don't know them, right? But what do the shepherds say? We know him, <laughs> right? We know him. Again, Jacob's face, mind blow, providence of God. Now, it's been a long time since Re- uh, Rebecca, his, his mom, Jacob's mom, had seen her family and the tribe to which she belongs. So Isaac asks another investigative question in verse 6, is it well with him? And I understand that not all of us here are Hebrew scholars, I'm not either, but the word that's used here is the word shalom, a word that we might recognize, a word that means peace. He says, is there shalom with Laban? Jacob's essentially asking if things are well with with Laban, if if he's well off, if he's healthy, if if life has been good to him, right? And and they say, yes, there's shalom with Laban. And, 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 And church, is this all coincidence? Is this all just happenstance? Or do we have a God who is faithful in providentially working all these things together to accomplish his plans and purposes all for his glory? And if you're not totally convinced that this is a God thing, look at the latter part of verse 6 with me. After these shepherds answer Jacob's questions, they direct his attention to the horizon where, where who? Rachel one of Laban's daughters is coming with her sheep to the exact well at which Jacob is standing. And being notified that Rachel is coming with her herd of, of sheep, he calls for the shepherds to kind of go and shepherd, to, to give their flocks water and take them somewhere else so that he can kind of be with this, this potential bride of his. Uh, a lot of commentators that I read, uh, they, they, they took verse 7 to be Jacob saying, hey, don't you guys have somewhere else to be? But in verse 8, they say that it is their practice to wait until all the flocks are together to remove the stone slab. Because remember, it took multiple people to remove that slab of, of rock from the top of the well. Now, as they're talking, Rachel, who is a shepherdess, arrives with her flock. And verse 10 breaks that down for us. Let's look at that together. It says, now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel and uh, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. What is the first thing that Jacob sees, church? 
Yeah, it's not all the sheep that Rachel's got, but it's Rachel herself, right? And let me just real quick unpack that word. That, when I prep uh, in a sermon, a lot of the times I look at verbs. They're, they're, they're really helpful. And this word saw, okay, has a lot of different meanings or potential meanings and, and definitions. But the way that it's rendered here, it means to inspect or to look at in order to consider. One pastor um, it, it says, this was not a glance, but a gaze, right? He's entranced. Time stops. The Coriolis effect of the earth and its rotation just pauses for a minute, right? Rachel's beautiful, and we'll see that explained later. And once Jacob's able to, to snap out of this trance, once time resumes, he, he's filled with all sorts of adrenaline and, and testosterone probably. And what does he do? He moves this stone slab off the well by himself. Amazing what lengths a man will take in order to impress a girl, right? And in verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel, which uh, you might sound forward, but it was a typical greeting for those who are considered family, and he wept aloud. And this weeping here is, is it's a shedding of tears. It's not pretty crying. It's the crying where there's snot and boogers and things, right? But for a moment, just stick your feet into Jacob's sandals, right? It's a very long journey. I mean, I get emotional driving three hours to my in-laws and making it, right? A very long journey, but God is a, in a providential way. What does he do? He, he guides Jacob's steps to Haran, brings him to the well of Laban, and brings Laban's daughter, Rachel, who Jacob is called to marry, right to him. This meeting is a divine appointment. It's divine providence in Jacob's life. And if you've noticed... God isn't mentioned in our passage, but do you see him? Do you, do you see him at work here? Is he not living up to the promises that he's made to Jacob? Now, what is Jacob's spiritual maturity? What's, where, where is he at? Um, it's hard to tell, honestly. A lot of people debate this. Um, nowhere is it recorded that he praises God, but just because it's omitted doesn't mean that, it's, that it didn't happen but it's suspicious, knowing what we know. It's suspicious. Um, also, there's some similarities and contrasts uh, between Abraham's servant finding a wife for Isaac, Jacob's dad, and Jacob finding a wife for himself. Both went to the same place, right, to find a wife. The servant of Abraham prays before his journey and worships the Lord when he finds Rebekah at the well, if you remember. However, Jacob goes on a long journey and finds Rachel, but instead of praising the Lord, we see him flexing his muscles here, right? Again, I, I believe there's a lot of learning still left to be done in Jacob's life. And, and, and despite Jacob's spiritual maturity or lack thereof, what is God doing? He's guiding, directing, and providing for him all the way through. Just as he said that he would do in chapter 28. Jacob in verses 11 through 14 tells Rachel everything and the reason for his journey and he does the same with Laban and they receive Jacob as a relative and he stays with them for a month. Now, we know the end of the story, right? We want to jump into the story and just scream at Jacob, run for your life, man, right? Because this month is going to turn into a 14-year prison sentence, okay? But I want to emphasize here what I think Moses emphasizes, and I've said it a million times already, but providence. And I know that God continually will provide for Jacob throughout his life. 
but I feel like it's dramatically emphasized here. And let me just call you to, to consider something, church. Is the, is the same God that Jacob uh, loves and worships, is, is he our God as well, same God? Or has he changed? He never changes. He's immutable, right? And, and church, God has made promises to us to, to pull one out of the hat, right? Matthew 20, 28, the final verse of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus, before he ascends back to the Father, after his resurrection, says to them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have such great promises that God will be faithful to keep because he is a faithful God. Christ is with us, the Spirit is in us, and we are not alone. And, and I bet there's believers in this room that can stand up and testify to the providence of God in their lives. I know I, I can. And that will continue to happen. And so we should be encouraged to trust in Him, knowing that He is with us, and that He is for us, and that nothing can separate us from His love. The first insight to uh, to us this morning by looking at Jacob's life is the overwhelming providence of God. The second P in Jacob's life is privilege. Season marked by privilege. Genesis 29, 15 through 20. In verse 15, Laban realizes that he's been allowing for Jacob to work for him for nothing for a whole month. And so he asked Jacob to tell Laban what his wages should be. Or literally the text reads, tell me what your reward should be. Reward, an interesting word there. Same word used in the Abrahamic covenant, um, the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 15. That not only would Abraham's reward result in many descendants and land and for his name to be great, but his greatest reward would be God himself, to have a relationship with the almighty creator God. But in this passage, Jacob's reward in our text will be Rachel. And verses 16 and 17 tell us some interesting things about Laban and his two daughters. And there's some things to take note of here. First, uh, their names. Names meant a whole lot more back then than they do now today. And I want to tell you what their, the names mean. Uh, Laban's oldest daughter is named uh, Leah, which means in the Hebrew, cow. And, and Laban's younger daughter, Rachel, means female lamb. Now, ladies, if you're physical appearance was linked or connected to one of those animals, which one would you choose for yourself? A cow or a female lamb? Men in this room, if you ever call a woman a cow, there is no counseling in the world that could get you out of that mess. <laughs> now, you know, come on, Laban. Uh, Laban. Um, where, what was he doing? But not only... Does Laban's or Leah's name mean cow? But what does the text also say? That Leah's eyes don't have that, that sparkle, that fire to them that Rachel's has. One commentary made the note that Leah's eyes were evidently dull and lacking in luster rather than, that, rather than bright. Another mentioned that, that they may have looked sleepy. Eyes were a big deal when it came to attraction back then. If you were to look at the, the book of our Bibles, uh, that's marked by romance, uh, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 4.1 says, Behold, you are beautiful, my darling. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have leapt down from Mount Gilead. 
man, if you struggle with romance, I'm helping you, right? So, Song of Solomon 4.1, put it down. It was true back in that time as well as it is today uh, that, that, that eyes were important when it came to attraction. There are so many songs today, I didn't realize this, even modern songs that talk about the attraction of one's eyes. Uh, Google with caution. Uh, so Leah's name is Cal, her eyes are drowsy, but Rachel, Rachel the female lamb, Rachel's form and appearance was beautiful according to the text. Uh, she had an, an hourglass figure. She had fiery eyes. And in the, the month that Jacob stayed with Laban, what do we see in verse 18? Jacob loved Rachel. And Jacob offers seven years to work for Rachel, which is a rather generous offer. Um, working for, for a bride was, was practiced during this time, but it usually amounted for like three to four years, not seven. Uh, but Jacob didn't care about the time, relatively speaking, um, which spoke to his love for her and his commitment and how much he valued Rachel. And he, maybe, maybe he offered seven years because he didn't want to risk Laban saying no. Laban recognized that it would be better for Jacob than any other man to marry his daughter. And may, he said, you know, maybe, maybe in his mind, it's a pretty good deal. Free labor for seven years. I mean, hey, I heard that he lifted that whole stone by himself. I wonder what, I, what else I can get him to do for seven years, right? Um, and, and we see, at the end of the seven years, it was a privilege for Jacob to work for Rachel. The text implies this in verse 20 when it says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and what? They seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. We can all experience Great seasons of life where even the mundane things or, or, or things that require a lot of work and sacrifice are regarded as a privilege. For Jacob, in Jacob's mind, the reward was greater than the sacrifice. But again, school of hard knocks for Jacob, right? What will Jacob learn about his reward? That rewards found in this life are not always as we dream them up to be. Because this world that we live in is sinful, and the inhabitants of this world are sinful, just as Jacob is sinful, just as we are sinful. And this is why our greatest treasure, our greatest reward, should never be things of this world, should never be money, or a spouse, children, or a material things. Because all these things are temporary and fleeting. But our greatest reward is having a relationship with the Lord through Christ our Savior, which will never fade away. He is our greatest reward. And this reward awaits every believer and should motivate our trust and devotion to the Lord. So much so that we can even say it's a privilege to give our life to Christ because the reward is greater than the sacrifice. The last and final P this morning, the insight that we get here from Jacob's life is a season riddled with problems. You can just write down problem for the last point because the whole thing is just one gigantic problem or, or mess. In verse 21, Jacob doesn't ask for his reward. It kind of sounds like it reads. It's a command which can be rendered, give me my wife. It, 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 it suggests a hint of impatience and frustration and irritation. He's worked the time. Maybe he's, at the end of this time, he's gotten kind of a better insight into Laban's character. 
And it appears that Laban meets Jacob's request by putting on a wedding feast. Wedding feasts were a big part of the ancient Near East uh, 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 culture. Um, they would typically last a week long. But, but, and think about that festival for just a moment. This festival had to be a little bit confusing, right? Because Jacob still thinks he's getting Rachel as is agreed upon, you know, it's his reward that he he set out for for seven years. But what does everyone else think there, I wonder? Do they all think that Rachel's getting married? I don't actually know the answer to that question. I just wonder. And so the first night of the wedding festival week is the honeymoon night. And so the wait is finally over. It's been seven years of hard labor. And let's look at verse 23 together now. It says, But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. A euphemism there for for sexual relationship. And verse 24, note, this is important, that Laban gives Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And then we see verse 25 in the morning. It says, behold, it was Leah. What does that tell us? He had no idea. How is that possible, right? Right? Well, it was dark. He was probably tired. A lot of commentaries say there was wine there and alcohol could have been involved. She was probably wearing a veil, as was custom of that time. And Laban says in the next part of verse 25, no, excuse me, Jacob says in the next part of verse 25, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve uh, serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Did you hear that? Why then have you deceived me? You catch that? Jacob says to Laban that, that he deceived him. In other words, Jacob just got out Jacobed, right? Uh, same, sim, similar word that was used just a couple chapters ago. There's so much irony here. Jacob and, and Rebekah deceived uh, Isaac uh, just a little bit ago, and there's so many comparisons. You know, Jacob pretended to be someone else just as Leah did. Uh, Jacob had deceived Isaac by taking advantage of his poor old eyes, no longer being able to see. And similarly, Laban deceives Jacob by taking advantage of of the use of of the cover of darkness. And Leah pretending to be her her younger sister. Leah is not innocent in this either. Deceivers get deceived. Jacob was learning the hard way that the proverb in Proverbs 13, 15, before Proverbs 13, 15 was even written yet, which says the way of the transgressor is hard. Chances are, if you deal poorly with others, what will eventually happen to you? In verse 26, Laban tries to explain himself to Jacob, saying, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Yeah, okay, but where was that seven years ago? right? I can't imagine in Jacob the rage and the the bitterness and the embarrassment and the pain and the sense of betrayal from his own family that he must have just, it, it it was boiling inside of him. But again, these emotions probably all resonated with Esau as well. Another thing to consider, marriage, we know is a sacred thing. It's binding. One scholar writes, Once Jacob engages in sexual relations with the virgin Leah, the action is irrevocable, requiring Jacob to fulfill his honorable duty to the woman. What's done is done. And it can't be undone. It's a problem. Verse 27. 
Laban makes another promise that's really hard to take seriously. If you stick your, your, your feet in his sandals again. He says, if Jacob finishes the week of the wedding celebrations uh, with, with Leah, that he will give Rachel to him, but he also has to work for him another seven whole years. Ugh. And because of his love for Rachel, he does it. And verse 28 says, Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. What an absolute mess. There's immorality, it's dirty, it's wicked, there's so much sin involved, it's complicated. Jacob had sin, uh, sins, uh, Laban sinned, Leah had to have sinned. We don't know where Rachel's heart was when this was all going down, but could you only imagine her thoughts during this festival week and all, the whole thing? Also, their servants were brought into the mess. And next time that we're in the book of Genesis, there's going to be an all-out birth war right? Would have made for a really interesting Mother's Day uh, sermon if it was today. Um, because there's 12 sons in this birth war total, right? From Leah, Zilpah, Bilha, uh, Bilha and, and Rachel. 12 total, which is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. A bit surprising if you think about it. You think the Israelites, as God's chosen people, they'd, you'd think that they'd be a chosen people that have come from a place of piety, that they would have had roots and, and, and been grounded and, and used the, the KJV only. That they would have worn suits and ties. That, that, that women uh, would have worn, uh, you know, their women would have worn dresses down past their toes. Surely God's people were model citizens and rarely did anything wrong. They were probably smart, strong, and, and solid in all areas of life. But, but God's people were often precisely the opposite of that, of what you would expect. They were an absolute mess, even from the jump, as we see in our text. And yet God still chose to set his affection on them. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, I'll mark it down, look at it later. It says, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Church, can I say it? It was God's plan all along to take a mess like Israel. Because as 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chooses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose Israel because they were a mess. And for any hope of it being cleaned up, they would have to look to another. And throughout Israel's history, they often did look to others. They looked to other nations, and they looked to other kings, and, and they wanted to be like them, and they looked to other, and they worshipped other gods. But nothing that they did could, could, could clean them up, to clean up their mess. Israel's mess demanded for a hope that would come from God Himself. And this hope is found in the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, who, get this, church, eventually would come through the descendants of Jacob and Leah. 
Because it was through Leah that the tribe of Judah exists. Do you understand that? It, it, it is God's plan to use this mess in Jacob's life to bring about the Messiah. David came through. He was from the tribe of Judah. He came through Jacob and Leah. Song of Solomon, or Solomon, he came through the tribe of Judah. And one day, through a miraculous birth by the Holy Spirit and Mary, who belonged to the tribe of Judah, Jesus would come as Savior of the world. And so, church, Jacob and Leah's messed up marriage that we, we we're looking at right now directly impacts your life today. For it was God's plan to use them in His plan of salvation to cleanse us from all our sin. Sometimes we can read this account and we get so caught up with the mess that we, we, we forget to look at God's plan. Israel is a mess. The world's a mess that we live in today. But who's the answer? Christ is the answer. Do you this morning, church, have an answer for the mess that's in your life? Because if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith, your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no doubt in my mind that He has providentially brought you here today to hear the good news of the gospel, just as He did in our, in our passage by bringing Rachel right to Jacob. And so if you feel lost, if you feel hopeless, if you feel broken over the past and the weight of the things of the past, if you're depressed over the current events of this life, if you're found wanting and, and, and you've been searching for hope and you've never been able to find it, if you've got mess in your life and you've been trying to clean it up but it only just appears to get messier, let me tell you about Jesus and God's plan because even though I, I talk about much about what it means to trust in the Lord in your every day, if you have not trusted in Christ with, with the, the state of your soul, there's no way that you can trust God with your tomorrow. God, He knows your mess. He knows your mess more than you know your mess. He knows your sinfulness. And despite your sin, He lovingly and willingly sent His one and only Son to come to this earth and to live the life that you could never live. A perfect sinless life. Also that He could lay down His life as a sacrifice for your sins. Paying the punishment for your sins and taking your sins upon Himself. He bore the wrath of your punishment and He died on the cross only to be raised three days later. He did this so that if you put your trust in Him as Lord and Savior, that your sins could be wiped out, that they could be forgiven, and they could be paid for. And it's only because of Jesus and His sacrifice that God and His kingdom can be your eternal reward and treasure. Do you have this hope today? And more importantly, do you not just know it up here, but do you believe it with your heart and with your life, this wonderful plan of God? Jacob's life is a mess. Jacob's mess, but God's plan. That's what I entitled this message. But how easy we can and, and should edit this title to be uh, my mess, but God's plan. It's hard to believe that God could ever take a mess and, like, like that and use it for his glory. If it were me, if I was God, I, I would blow it all up and start over. I'd sell the whole team and rebuild. But our God who is infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present, but yet also all-merciful and all-loving and all-gracious, 
can take a mess of a life, even like ours and even like Jacob's, and accomplish all of his plans for his glory. Such an amazing God that we serve. A God that we can trust when everything seems to be falling providentially into place. A God we can trust when life feels like a, a privilege. And a God we can anchor our trust to even amidst the greatest storms and battles that we face in this life. Let's pray. Father, help us to, to trust in you. It's, it's one thing to know it in our heads that, that we ought to trust you. It's easy to even sing about it, that we need you every hour. But it's another thing entirely to live it, especially when things in our life and, and world can get difficult and problematic. Give us, give us the strength, Lord, we ask, to depend on you with our every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.